Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you back to the Sling the Biscuit podcast. This is the new Sling the Biscuit podcast. This is episode 25. My name is Travis Ridgen. I am the starting right bench for the Motor City Rockers in the FPHL, the Federal Prospects League. And I'm joined by the privilege as always, the wheeling, dealing, the limousine riding, Rolex wearing. He's having a hard time holding these alligators Apple, down. Over Apple Winnipeg. watch wearing. <laughs> Regardless, he's having a very hard time holding these alligators down in the city of Winnipeg, Manitoba. He is, has the number one morning radio show in the city of Winnipeg as well, Mr. Dave Wheeler. First question, how's your hip? Uh, hip's doing better. Hip's actually, uh, you want to see something, you can see in the video podcast, but check this out. I can stand on one leg now. Hey, 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 hey. you're like a flamingo. You belong in Transcona. <laughs> the Transcona's finest in the city of Winnipeg. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear it. Is, is your recovery actually going quicker than you thought? Yeah, it's actually going significantly faster than I thought. I was at physio uh, yesterday, so my new physio in Vancouver, and just talking to the physiotherapist, we talked about how, you know, this week specifically, there's not going to be a lot of progress, but the next three to four weeks, I'm going to see exponential progress. And with uh, how things are right now, with how I'm walking, with how I'm moving, with uh, I guess the, the flexibility and mobility that I have uh, two weeks out of surgery, he's saying that don't get your you know, hopes too high, but you could be skating in May if you keep on this track and you do what we say and you don't have any you know, trauma or any massive flare-ups. So that's exciting. Wow. Wow. Good for you. So how has the rehab process been going? Is it mostly in the physio department or is it at home as well? Yeah, so there's a lot of physio. It's a lot at home. Um, it's not the most exciting stuff. I've been doing a lot of uh, like kind of heel twists, uh, like going like back and forth, a lot of walking movements. Um, that's really about it. Just like really light mobility stuff. I just got allowed to start like uh, lacrosse ball rolling and massage gun rolling or a massage gun like a, a Theragun. Uh, actually, today was the first day. You have a Theragun? I don't have the Theragun. I got the knockoff. They are awesome. All the NHL teams have them. They have like a huge... Uh, like the conveyor belt, or not conveyor belts, like the, the bins. You got like 30 of them, and the guys just take them, bring them back. It's pretty cool. Unbelievable. What a great invention. Speaking of inventions, a uh, question for you. I mentioned off the top of the show, Ric Flair. Is he the greatest promoter of all time, do you think? Muhammad Ali. But he spent more money on, or spent more money on spilt liquor last year than you, than you made all year. <laughs> Without Muhammad Ali. Well, that's not necessarily the case. So Muhammad Ali borrowed from professional wrestling where he thought, you know, it's, it's, it's entertainment. And Bobby Hull has said this numerous times as well, where he said, this is entertainment. Like, this, this isn't, it's athletics, but it's entertainment. And if you're not selling a game or selling your skills or selling your personality and sitting down, and, and that's one advice that Bobby gave to his son, Brett, is if, if you leave the rink without say, signing every single autograph you possibly could, you're doing it wrong. Because those are the people that pay your salary. If they're not showing up, you're not getting paid. So I say Muhammad Ali because he was able to bring that into every other sport. Yeah, I'll, I'll give wrestling its credit as far as being the ones that, that, that promoted it for a scripted um, athleticism, if you will. But to me, Muhammad Ali is who made it widespread. Do you think that's why... Fans don't resonate as much maybe with professional athletes and pro sports right now as maybe they used to, where the mentality was, like, if I'm paying for a ticket to come to the Winnipeg Jets game tonight, I, technically speaking, pay your salary. So maybe you should you know, show an appreciation, give me all the time in the world, sign all my autographs, all this kind of stuff. There's, there's, a, there's a line. I really think there's a line, and it's been blurred a lot because you've got your autograph hounds who are there solely because they want to get hey, sign 40 of these rookie cards for me because I'm going to turn around and I'm going to sell them to an investor and I'm going to make money on this. So there's those, but there's, there's the ones that really appreciate it, the ones that 
really want that autographed game-worn jersey that they want to frame and put in their pool room downstairs. So it's hard to distinguish between the two, but I think there is a certain responsibility on, on the athlete to be able to make sure that they give what is necessary for their own sanctity in the game. If you follow me on that, like, yeah, go ahead and sign, you know, five cards for, for a fan. Sure. But I mean, if, if it's getting down to 40, it's like, whoa, 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 like, where's my cut? So we're talking about the seekers though. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's no different than the argument the NCAA has had for years saying, Hey, we see thousands of people wearing, you know, the, the number one Heisman trophy winner candidate, uh, jerseys in the stadium. And where do they, they paid a premium to buy those in the gift shop. So where's my cut? The first moment I ever had where I got to like meet one of my idols. So like growing up, like Jose Theodore, goalie for the Montreal Canadiens, Colorado uh, Avalanche. He was like uh, my idol growing Jose. up. Jose. Jose Theodore, sorry. Jose. Uh, so Theodore, Kiprasov, those are the guys I really looked up to. But, uh, you know, turn, you know, the 2010s, Jonathan Quick kind of became my guy very quickly. He was just so explosive, so athletic and fun to watch. And I was a huge fan. I mean, remember the, the cup run to, you know, 2012, so dominant, so just violently explosive and just, you know, putting out the, the Canucks, the Devils, the Blues and the Coyotes and that, that playoff run was great. And then again, 2014. And, but as I became a fan, I remember I ended up buying a, an NHL authentic jersey. And I remember I worked in, in my head. I worked so hard working my minimum wage at McDonald's to afford that jersey. And Did then, you work at McDonald's? I worked at McDonald's. I did. It was my second ever job really? working at McDonald's. Yep. Ah, it's amazing. But anyway, so uh, saved up the money from working at McDonald's, bought myself an authentic Kings jersey, got quick 32 put on it, and then uh, the team that I was playing for at the time, we did a trip to, to Los Angeles for a hockey tournament. And I remember camping out after practice for about you know, two hours like after the Kings practice. And this is when Quickie was injured. He had the groin tear from the, against the Buffalo Sabres. So I didn't really know if he was around or not, but I thought, I'm here. I might as well camp out and try to find him. Well, I'm waiting outside the arena... Walk, uh, the practice facility, the Toyota Sports Center, and out walks Jonathan Quick right in front of me, and I just have this like fangirl moment of like, holy, you know, holy shit, that's the guy that I've been seeing on TV and and everything that just walked right past me, and then it clicked. Wait, I, if I want to get my jersey signed in a picture, I got to go talk to him. So I walk over to him, I talk to him. I'm like, hey man, I'm a huge fan. Never said a, a single word to me, and we'll throw a picture up on the screen of like when him and I uh, didn't end up meeting. But um, look at you, you handsome devil. <laughs> um, Two, no, about a year and a half later, I got the picture of him autographing, or I got the picture of us blown up, and I brought it to him in downtown Winnipeg and said, here's a picture of me and you in Los Angeles from about a year and a half ago. Can you sign the picture? And so he signed the picture, and then I got a new picture of me and him holding the old picture signed together. <laughs> and that was the last time at, I saw Jonathan Quick. At, at that point, you just give him an engagement ring. It, it was so cool though at the time. Like to like that's the guy that like, I've been idolizing. I've, I've met him twice. He was very nice to me. Both times, he never said a single word to me. Just yep, give me the sharpie, signed it, and he had the biggest chew I've ever seen in my life. Like his lip was like <laughs> out to hair. He had a spitter in his pocket too. If you look in the picture, I'll post on the screen here. He has a huge spitter. He's holding the whole time while he's signing and taking the pictures. But that was uh, that was really cool getting to meet John. Okay, so so in my mind, there's a big difference between what you did because not only were you you were a fan but that was a situation where you're like i want to be that guy i i want to be just like jonathan quick that's the guy i'm modeling my career after am i accurate 
Uh, absolutely. I would say at that point in time, I'm like 16, 17, 18 years old, like coming into 19. And I'm thinking like, I want to play like Jonathan Quick. I want to be Jonathan Quick. And then you slowly realize that, you know, at 6'5", you can't play like a six foot genetically gifted freak. I, I think there's another version of, of being a equivalent fan, but under different circumstances where I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm a, uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of Dave Grohl, who we've talked about on this podcast before. I've had a chance to meet him. I've had a chance to sit down with him. Uh, I know that my career is not going to lead me into music. I know my career is not going to lead me to be a frontman of a band or a incredible drummer for an incredible band, or I'll even use Tom Brady, someone who I appreciate a lot, or, or Michael Jordan. That kind of appreciation, I don't plan on following in their footsteps as far as their career. Maybe their success, sure. I think there's that kind of fan who just really appreciates what they do. And, I mean, you can do that in any industry. There's, like, Elon Musk I appreciate that guy so much for what he's done uh, through his his career and what he's been able to achieve and sending satellites into space. That is not in my realm of expertise at all, but I appreciate what he's been able to do and the focus and dedication that he's done. But then you've got your other ones who are just seekers. They're, like, like you said, they, 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 they are out for the money. They want that autograph. They want you to sign 40 uh, pieces of, of, of memorabilia so they can turn around and sell it. So they're... I, I think the player can can determine whether it's like, oh, this person's a fan, this, this is a kid, this is a you know a, a, a human child, or this is just someone seeking money. I want to think too, like when I'm coming to ask you to sign my jersey and sign my puck, and I'm also asking you to sign the picture that we took together last time of the picture we took last time. Like you know, I'm I'm a fan. I'm a religious fan. Like I haven't washed the jersey. I think I had a, a ketchup stain still on the jersey <laughs> that I didn't wash because I wore it to Staples Center to a game, and I got a hot dog and I spilled some ketchup on it, and and I never washed it because the jersey was signed. Because I had if you're watching the video version, I had Jonathan Quick, uh, the signature right on the back uh, of the numbers, and I think I got him to sign the front as well, just in case one rubbed off. And I had a ketchup stain not too far off from the signature, so I didn't want to wash either away. I think it's still well, on it, the jersey. And then there's one more version, and I think athletes are very cognizant of, of, of all of them. There's one more fan, and I'll reference the movie The Fan with Robert De Niro and Wesley Snipes, where Wesley Snipes was a ball player, and Robert De Niro was such a fan that he ended up going on, spoiler alert, goes on and ends up murdering another player on the baseball team so Wesley Snipes could have more success. Then there's that crazed fan, which I think a lot of entertainment industries deal with where they're just they're obsessive and it becomes dangerous for the the athlete or the or or the star in question. I know we referenced Blades Gore last week. That's what you're making me think of with Hector and Jimmy McElroy when he comes up to me and say, Hey Jimmy, I just wanna take off your skin and wear it to my birthday party coming yeah, up. Right. <laughs> right. Hector, didn't I have a restraining order filed against you? Yes, Jimmy, but nobody can obsess like I can. I got around it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then they he gets him back into figure skating. Oh, and Jimmy, by the way, I'm still going to kill you one day. And then he runs away. <laughs> uh, listen, not to tell too many stories out of school, but uh, I, I was doing an overnight radio show on a country station in Calgary and, and dealt with a situation where my uh, very oblivious roommates in college didn't realize that this person in question was an overfan and invited them into our apartment while I was working. And then when I returned home at 6.30 in the morning to go to bed, the person in question was sleeping in my bed and they thought, oh, this is okay. This must be a friend of Dave's. Not the case. So it can happen in any, any industry. You don't have to be the best athlete in the world or the biggest star. It can happen to anybody and it can get scary. 
or when they show up at your job site with pitchforks and torches and want you fired. That's a different kind of fandom. <laughs> <laughs> they love you just in different ways. Speaking of which, I got into a bit of a dust-up with somebody on my morning radio show that I want to tell you about a little bit uh, later on this morning. But uh, spoiler alert, it, uh, it has to do with food. Yes, and one thing that we did want to talk about, it was kind of pencil in the notes here, but uh, the federal legend, we talk about him literally every podcast, uh, Joe Pace, uh, player, owner, assistant captain, coach for the Mississippi Sea Wolves. Um, so he will be coming on the podcast sometime in 2023. I was talking to him the other day. We're trying to get it set up so it's in person because you've got to get an in-person interview with Pacer. But uh, it's going to be coming up. But uh, one of the questions that, that I had was uh, he's 37 right now, Joe Pace Jr. He's played the most games in Fed history coming up on, on 500, which is the record by far currently and, and will be at 500. Uh, he's got three kids, a wife, family. They're, they're doing the whole show front to back. And he's still kicking. He's still producing. He's played games in the ASPE. He's actually an um, uh, alumni, former uh, member of the Way Burn Red Wings in the SJHL, the Saskatchewan Junior League wow. legend. But, former, uh, former Royal Bank Cup winners. Yes, former Royal Bank Cup winners. And I was thinking to myself, like, what, like, what is Joe Pace doing to keep this going? Like, how, like, how does he still have the drive? How is he still producing? How is he getting things done, both you know, in the, the upstairs office and on the ice? And, you know, Dave and I were talking about, like, is he eating? Is he on like, the carnivore diet? Is he on, like, the liver king diet? Or, like, what is he what, what is he doing? And, yeah, I'm curious. Well, I, I think, and I can speak uh, being 43 years old, that you realize that I might not be good at anything else. And I want to kind of drag this out as long as possible. And if I'm able to be sustainable and, and support my family of three kids and still do what I love to do, even though it's a lot of work and it's a different kind of work than just being a rookie that comes into the league and is just meant to score goals or get assists or stop pucks or whatever it may be. If, if you get into a realm of, oh, I'm going to be invaluable to this franchise and be able to make a decent living at this, why would I do this then instead of going to sell used cars? No offense to the used car salesmen out there. But, you know, if you had your choice, would you rather do something you absolutely love and put a, your heart and soul into it? I, I couldn't agree more. And there's a lot of guys, too, even the, the ECHL, especially SPHL, guys that have been playing a long time where, you know, believe it or not, they genuinely hate hockey. And I, I don't think they actually hate hockey. I think they hate the business side of professional hockey, the you know the day in, day out of management. And it's not even about playing the game at that level anymore. It's just about, you know, dealing with the BS now what you can put up with. But these guys hate hockey, but they continue doing it because... They, you know, finished junior, went right in the pro. They don't have a university or college education. They don't know how to do anything else. They've been told their entire life from the Bantam draft at 14 till now, you're going to be a pro hockey player. So in their minds, they're saying, well, I might as well just keep playing until I can't play no more. And, or whenever the wife tells me it's time to pull the plug. And I think that's why also like a lot of guys do end up uh, quitting earlier than maybe they would like if they're on that path. Just because, you know, you play college hockey, you put yourself in debt going NCAA or whatever. If you end up playing... Uh, junior in Canada, get your free uh, U-sport education, which is great. And so you do that, you come out debt-free, or in the U.S., you go into a, a lot of debt. And you go into pro hockey, you're making 125 you're making 250 a week, you're not making a lot of cash. But then you start realizing slowly, I'm not getting ahead in life. I'm still playing pro, well, pro, but I'm not making pro money. Though the missus is on me that maybe it's time to start life, trying to you know, get a little bit more serious. And it's difficult to do that when you're gone for eight months out of the year. You're back for four. You're bouncing around. You don't know where you're going to go. And you're not really building towards anything when she wants to you know, settle down and, and whatnot. So it, it's interesting. Pro hockey is a job, but it's a job unlike any, anything else on the planet. No doubt about it. 
Well, speaking of getting older and making sure priorities are set, I would like to mention that uh, uh, Sheath Underwear, our amazing sponsor here on the Slang and the Biscuit podcast. Uh, can I make a personal request? Uh, I, I need another set. And the reason why <laughs> is because my wife is starting to give me the gear saying, hey, I'm not seeing your underwear in the wash enough. And I'm like, well, the beauty part about this underwear is that I, I can, you know, wear it during the day. Everything's separated. It's good. It's clean. I can wear it to bed and then get away with half a day of it the next day because everything is separated and everything's fine down there and it's breathable and it's bamboo. And I, I feel like it, like it's kind of a part of me. She's like, your underwear needs to go in the laundry once a day. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But these things are amazing. And as long as I'm making sure that everything is compartmentalized, I'm good. Absolutely. And if sheath underwear was Ric Flair, it would be the Ric Flair of underwear. That was a terrible breakdown. But anyway. Uh, if, our- <laughs> if your penis could be Ric Flair, it would go, woo, when it's wearing sheath underwear. Is that fair? And when it's in the underwear, it would say, I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. <laughs> uh, Wrinkly skin underwear. on both sides. <laughs> Uh, so Sheath Underwear is the uh, presenting sponsor for this podcast, believe it or not. Uh, we do have sponsors, especially after that terrible ad transition. But uh, So presented by Sheath Underwear. Sheath Underwear is game-changing. We're going to tell you why. The team at Sheath have engineered the dual pouch technology. Now, the dual pouch is a segregated and separated compartment to have your biscuit put comfortably into your basket so nothing is touching. So if you're a dude, you're working construction, maybe you're out there pouring some concrete while you're listening to the podcast right now, there's a very good chance your twig and your biscuits are stuck to the side of your leg. Sheath doesn't allow that to happen. You have to put your biscuit into the basket, if you get what I'm saying, but then everything is compartmentalized. So nothing is touching, nothing is sticking, everything is where it needs to be, and it breathes incredibly. And like Dave said, if you put your twig and your biscuits into a pair of sheath underwear, it will go woo and it will turn you into the well, limousine it'll go riding. What? It'll go what? Woo! That's the one. <laughs> and you will become the limousine riding, Rolex wearing, jet flying, son of a gun. And you can do that by going to sheathunwear.com. you got to use the code BISCUIT69. That is B-I-Z-K-I-T-6-9. It's going to get you 20% off. The best underwear money can buy only at sheathunwear.com. There's a link in the video description on the YouTube version if you're watching the video version of the podcast. Or on the uh, podcast notes on Apple, Spotify, and uh, Google Podcast. And thank you to Sheath, as always, for being our amazing presenting sponsor for this podcast. For the record, Sheath, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's actually the actual exact definition is a cover of the blade, uh, uh, the cover for the blade of a knife or a sword. So there you go. You want to keep it sharp? You want to keep it sharp? Put it in a sheath. The razor's edge. Speaking of razor's edge, there is, um, I, I, I love this kind of stuff because uh, so some, some Fed stuff, some Fed fights. This is what, what we all come to the podcast for. Um, now, Forrest Gump, the Forrest Gump, once said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. When he said box of chocolates, he meant to say the FPHL and the Fed Zeno because <laughs> there is a, there's a clip that was, that was going around the other night in Columbus, Georgia. Shout out Michael Greco, Canadian boy, playing for the Columbus River Dragons. I think he got kicked out of the game. He's walking off. One of the fans says something to him, and then you see him turn around and do a mad dash to this fan, and he's getting up in his face. He's going to, like, bash him in the head with his stick and take his head off, and then security comes in and removes him, and, and obviously he ends up getting escorted away, and the fan kind of you know, scurries back into his hole. And I just thought to myself, like, if there was ever a league where a player-fan fight was going to happen, it's going to be the Fed. Like, for example, there's, I don't know how many arenas, like Port Huron, uh, Carolina, I believe as well, and uh, to an extent Columbus, where the players come out of the same entrance. They're side by side. They are within spitting distance. So if you're going to have 
a fight between the players. They come out right near the fans. There's always, you know, being engaged with the fans. You're going to have it in the Fed. And uh, if, if, if I could make a request, if there was a Fed fight, to see a fan get beat up with his own shoe, like Mike Milbury style, maybe in Danbury, <laughs> Connecticut, that would be amazing. Well, listen. The, you're you're exactly right. The NHL went through some dark days, and if you haven't, if you've never seen the the video of Mike Milbury climbing the stands and beating a fan with their own shoe, I mean, it's something right out of Slapshot. This guy, no. And when someone threw a set of keys at one of the players and hit him, like you hit him in the freaking eye. Um, <laughs> the NHL is taking precautions. There was there was a day and age where there was no glass behind the bench and the fans. And and I am all for. Believe me when I tell you. I have had my fair share of dust-ups with fans when I'm sitting in the penalty box or coming off the ice or whatever. The fans 100% can say whatever they want to the player. It's it's just chirping. It's talking. They're allowed, they paid the price of admission. Go ahead and scream and yell all you want. That I'm fine with that. But the second, the second you get physical, well, you've you've now encroached on that invisible line, and all bets are off. Agreed. Actually, to bring that back, funny story. Uh, my, my girlfriend, Victoria, God bless her. Shout out to her dad, Jay. He listens to the podcast every week. Listen last week as well. But so Victoria was yeah, moving out of her last you. apartment. We talked about this. He's vetting you. <laughs> so far, so good. But um, so uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when Victoria was moving out of her apartment, she's trying to get her damage deposit back. And uh, she calls me and she says, you know, I'm having a hard time getting my damage deposit back. You know, the landlord is, you know, saying some mean things about me. And I said, listen, honey, for $600, you can call me whatever you want. You can call me every name in the book for 600 bucks deal. And to bring that back to the Fed, if somebody's paying, you know, in Motor City where our general mission price is 17 bucks for a ticket, if you're paying 17 bucks, you are entitled to say whatever you want to me. You have paid, like Dave said, you pay the price of admission. My job is to perform. If we're in Watertown where maybe the, you know, the tickets are a little bit cheaper and you know, maybe beer is a little bit cheaper and people can get a little bit more lubricated, 10 bucks, and you're going to probably say a little bit more stuff to me, you're entitled to do that. You pay the price of admission. And you know what? There's really easy chirps I remember sending back. I'd get put in the penalty box, and there'd be guys that are leaning. I mean, we're, we're talking in like oil cities like Bonneville and Lloydminster and areas like that where they're leaning over the glass and kind of like that old Thai Domi clip, but you know, didn't go to that extent. But leaning over the glass, chirping, ah, oh, 2 8, you're this, you're that, whatever. And I was like, hey, bring down your lunchbox and I'll sign it for you. <laughs> you know, or, or little things like, hey, how much did you pay to come in and watch me play? You know, things like that. I mean, the. the I enjoy that. That is fun to me. That that gives them an experience where they get to go home and go, you wouldn't believe I was chirping one of the players and it was so much fun. As long as it doesn't get to fisticuffs. And I have seen that happen too. And I've never been a proponent of that. I, I, ugh, I actually watched one of my old former teammates. Can we mention names? It's like, it's like yeah. 25 years. Old. Okay. Chad Bork, a tough as nails guy. I've seen this guy fight more than I'd like to admit. Uh, got kicked out of a game in... Where were Wetaskiwin, Wetaskiwin, Alberta, and he got kicked out of a game. And this is what I'm talking about that that invisible barrier. Now he's no longer on the ice. He's in the stands now. And some guy who had too many libations decided to start chirping him a little bit. They both start standing up. The one older guy, and keep in mind he's 18 years old, takes a swipe at him. And my boy Chad, who's no stranger to throwing the, throwing the knuckles, leans back and pops this guy. Turns out he's an off-duty cop. And now we're in a whole different set of issues. But like I said, I'm okay with chirping, you know, on either side of the glass. It's like being at the zoo and making fun of the uh, the lion. The second that lion comes out, you're like, hi, lion. Hi. Everything's good. I saw Lion King. Simba's cool. 
Wait, I, I thought cops were supposed to be chill. I thought cops weren't supposed to be yelling and chirping at hockey games when they're off duty. I love my boys in blue. I am one of the first ones to come to the uh, to come to the table and say I support you guys. But listen, we all we all have our dark moments. I like the picture. He goes and pops the cop, and the cop just pulls the taser out, and boom, and it's right on the ice. Just uh, <laughs> <laughs> that way. Luckily, this was before the days of tasers. I'm that old. Um, there was another uh, moment the Fed too. There was uh, so there's no video of this, but this was going around that uh, in Delaware. Shout out to the Delaware Thunder in beautiful Harrington, Delaware, right, Dave? Um, yeah, it's on my tops of my list when it comes to visiting. I hello, we're in Delaware. <laughs> that sums it up beautifully. Um, also, shout out to my boy uh, John Armentitis. He just left Delaware and he's with the you know Watertown Wolves in Watertown, New York. He's thriving and he's happy. So shout out to you, buddy. I miss you. But uh, anyway, so in Delaware, uh, one of the players, we're not going to mention names just because, but uh, one of the players gets into a fist fight with the head coach in between, you know, periods. And so, you know, whatever's happened, Delaware's losing because they've only, at this point in time, recording the podcast, they've only won one game all season. They get into a fist fight. The next day, they trade the guy who was fighting the coach to Carolina. And imagine how the guy in Carolina felt who got sent over to Delaware. That's tough. About what? Which aspect? What were they fighting about? I'd like to imagine. Now I'm I'm assuming here. I don't have the facts based based. Or I couldn't find any. But I'm assuming games going not the way they want. They've only won one game this season. You get a little bit frustrated with the coach. Coach is frustrated with the players. Somebody says something. Somebody doesn't like it. Turns into a little bit of a shouting match. And then obviously, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, hockey is full of alpha male mentalities, and a couple guys want to go at it, and then boom, coach and the player go at it. Traded on the next day to Carolina. Uh, that I understand. I get that. I um, Listen, I, I grew up in the era of watching players get thrown over massage tables in between periods. And, and I understand there, there was a time where I was working in the American League where there was a point where some of these guys were making more money than the coaches. And they thought, why would I listen to this guy? I'm making more money than him. They're here to see me, not him. You know, sure, run me through drills and whatnot, but I'll dictate how I play. Just send me out when you want to send me out. And, and that can the money thing has always been a bit of an issue when it comes to player versus coach, but there still has to be a hierarchy. And, and, and at the same time, I'm not putting any onus uh, on, on totally on the player, but the, but the coach has to recognize too that there, there, there are times when you can lace into a player and times where you can't. Well, it's people management. You have to learn as a coach and as a GM, as, you know, as a goalie coach, whatever your position is in management, that you have X amount of players. You have to pull certain strings to get certain results out of them. Some guys handle, you know, very well being yelled and screamed at. Other guys need a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more soft-spoken. Everybody has, you know, a different formula to get that result out of them. And as your coach, as the coach, it's the job to figure out how to do that. Some guys can do it. Some guys don't do it. Um, well, we're in a day I mean, and age, and even my program director, who is like my boss at the radio station, says, I treat you differently than I treat this person that I treat that person that I treat that person. And that's the, that's the dance you do as a manager in any industry right now is that you don't just blanket manage everybody the same way to get the best out of all of them. There, there was one story. Um, I don't know if I should tell this one. Am I getting some shit if I tell this one? Keep names out of it. Keep teams out of it. Keep locations out of it. We're good. Okay. This is going to be general. And, and if you've been listening to the podcast, you can probably put two and two together. Nah, don't, gonna... don't, don't give them any hints. Okay. Um, I was playing a hockey game one time and, uh, say it was basketball. So you're playing basketball one day. I was, I was playing cricket one time and then I went (laughs) to the bowling alley after and, uh, our, our, 
uh, shit, I can't say, our, our bowling coach, uh, as, as we're walking off for warm-ups from bowling, not hockey, bowling, he says to me, he says, uh, Ridge, I just want you to know that uh, I brought you know a bunch of extra pucks if you want to sign them for the fans and give them away to, to any of the people that watch your videos. Why would they give away pucks at bowling? <laughs> bowling balls to sign for all your bowling fans. And I, and I looked at him, I looked at the pucks, or bowling balls, excuse me, and I looked back at the, the pucks, I mean coach, and I just thought to myself, I said, I'm not playing tonight. There's some other things that had gone on previously in the, net, in the last two days in, in our in our talks, and I'm and excuse my language. I was like, I don't give a about the pucks, the pucks. Just go away. I'll I'll, I'll leave it at that. Huh? I didn't know you're such a good bowler. I've been known to uh, rattle off a turkey or two from time to time. Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy, good reference for all of our American for all, for our American audience out there where bowling is more popular on ESPN than hockey is. They'll know what a turkey is. Hey, let's see if you get this one. Who do you think you are? I am. <laughs> Shout out Pete Weber, the greatest bowler of all time. What a, what a right? viral moment! Yeah. Oh man, I love the. Who do you think you pin. are? I am. I am. <laughs> What? <laughs> Grandpa didn't take his meds today. <laughs> By the way, if you're uh, if you're sitting in a situation where you're online and you feel like, especially in Canada where Bill C-11 is a hot contentious issue in the House of Commons right now, and you don't know if you're going to be able to get the things that you want on your internet, sign up for NordVPN. If you're not familiar with what a VPN is, let me break this down for you very simply. It takes your browsing out of your country. And it puts you in servers in different parts around the world. So not only can you surf the internet freely, it can also stop people from getting your information, which in this day and age is it's the, it's the equivalent of walking around with your wallet out, like, like walking around with your wallet in front of you like this going, here you go, here you go, here you go, here you go. Instead, you walk around with your wallet in your pocket when you're surfing online. So you know, no, you, you, you're not going to be, accessible to people who want to steal your information. Absolutely. And so on behalf of uh, Dave and I, we'd like to welcome a brand new partner to the podcasting program for the first time, uh, NordVPN. And we're going to have NordVPN for the rest of the month on the podcast, which is really, really exciting. And like Dave mentioned, NordVPN, uh, they hide your IP address, they keep your information encrypted, keep all your data secure, and their brand new cyber threat protection, one of my, one of my favorite things. I personally love uh, streaming uh, sports for free. So I have you know uh, two or three different sports streaming websites that I go to religiously because they work and they're just great. But the problem with those websites is that they compromise your information. They expose you to maybe some sketchy things, if, if you get what I'm saying. And it makes the experience of streaming sports for free less enjoyable. But when I turn my NordVPN on, I'm protected. I can watch my SHL hockey over in Sweden. I can watch NCAA, the Stanley Cup playoffs. For my personal favorite, all the UFC pay-per-views, I get them for free. And if you need that streaming website, I can give it to you at a different time because we can't mention it on the podcast for you know, contract reasons. But you can watch it all for free. NordVPN keeps you safe. And it's the only way that I stream my, my live sports. And it's the only way that I surf the internet anytime I travel or, or even right now. I'm on NordVPN every time I'm online. And right now you can get NordVPN on a two-year plan. You get a bonus gift here as well. You got to go to NordVPN.com slash biscuit. That's NordVPN.com slash B-I-Z. KIT. It is risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And just a reminder that there's a link in the video description on the video podcast on YouTube. And there's also a link in the podcast notes on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcast. 
And there's, again, there's over 5,000 NordVPN servers in 60 countries. They're incredibly fast. And they work with every major platform from Windows to Mac OS, iOS, Android, and more. And uh, just, again, on behalf of you know Dave and myself, I want to say thank you so much to NordVPN for you know, partnering up with us and partnering up with the podcast. And it's, uh, it's exciting. It's really exciting. Speaking of things that um, you don't want people knowing that you're doing or necessarily forcing you to do as far as your, your internet habits, when a lot of times, depending on where you are in the world or what provider you're with, they will block certain things. I'm curious to know, because I came from a generation when I played hockey, we carb-loaded. Are you familiar with carb-loading? Oh, yeah, for like a bodybuilding competition, just pack it on. No, we used to do carb-loading literally two hours before a hockey game. They would sit us down at a restaurant. Everyone, you got your choice of spaghetti or lasagna. And that's what you're eating. We got two hours till game time. Carb-load, because you need your energy. The, the idea was... You get carbohydrates in your system. You're going to have energy to play that game. We have learned over the past 20, 25 years that skating around with a big ball of dough in your tummy, probably not the best idea. And the diets in professional hockey and professional sports in general have changed a lot. And I'm curious to know, number one, what is your diet and how do you see it differ from other players on your team? Uh, number one, I just want to ask real quick. That sounds almost like you played for the Motor City Rockers. And we're eating the all-you-can-eat soup and salad at Olive Garden with chicken parm, our, our official pregame meal for the Rockers. Did, did you or did you not get that, Dave? There was, a, there was a lot of Olive Garden. There was a lot of Boston pizza. There was whatever pasta joint was available on the road. And we'd make a reservation to rent out the banquet room. And just as soon as we sat down, that meal was in front of you. timed out perfectly. Two hours, you'd eat, you'd finish up, you'd get to the rink, you'd start getting your pregame ready, having a big ball of dough in your tummy. I love chicken parm. I love pizza, but after uh, after, after you know three months in Motor City, I don't think I want to have pizza or chicken parmesan anytime soon. Just because that was like the, the the this temple. If you're watching the video version, this temple was built on chicken parmesan and uh, Detroit style pizza. Uh, it's a lot. But anyway, um, w- when I have uh, control over my food, so what I mean by that is like when I have access to go to the grocery store and, and pick up my own food options and not whatever the team gives me on the road. Um, I'm super heavily right now protein based. So like steak. Eggs, chicken thighs. Chicken thighs are an unreal treat. I just crushed about mm-hmm. six chicken thighs before we started recording. A little barbecue mm-hmm. glaze. They're cheap. They're juicy. They're fantastic. I'm hoping one day I can afford to get chicken breasts instead of chicken thighs. But maybe, you know, uh, Jay Dolph will allow me to do that sometime in the near future. But anyway, um, so yeah, heavily protein-based. Um, I've recently switched from uh, plant-based oat milk to back to dairy milk just because I know there's calcium. There's more protein. I'm trying to accommodate my... Uh, my hip issues and whatnot, or my, my hip surgery with, uh, you know, some better nutrients to help recover. So like very, very heavy protein based, but that's basically uh, my diet right now. Well, and, the, and the, to me, in my opinion, the jury's still out on what is the absolute best practice based on what you do physically throughout your day. Now, we've learned that carb loading, probably not the best idea if you're a athlete of any kind, filling it, maybe after, sure. There's actually studies that was done in the University of Manchester saying that one beer after a athletic event with the carbonation and the grains and the, the, the sugars that go in is actually really good for blood circulation. Not a dozen, like a lot of us do in beer league, but one after a game is actually really good for your cardiovascular system. There's you know studies that say a glass of wine in the evening, actually not bad for you. So there's a lot of different studies and there's a lot of different theories, but the blanket statement from government agencies and a lot of 
PhDs is that one size fits all when it comes to your diet. Now, just to give you a bit of a background, I got to a period in my life where I was in my early to mid thirties and I was way too heavy. I was weighing about 250 pounds and that, that was a lot. And a doctor friend of mine came to me and says, Hey, I, I know on your podcast, not this one, but podcasts I've done in the past, you like doing challenges. Like you've been vegan for a while. You've been vegetarian for a while. You've done this, you've done that. I want you to try something called the metabolic reset. And it's a study that was done out of the Martin clinic in, in Northern Ontario, where they said, you've essentially been lied to for the majority of your life. That, 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 that food pyramid that you've been given as far as you need this amount of grains, you need this amount of uh, dairy, you need this amount of this, this amount of this all the way down. It's not necessarily false, but it's not necessarily true for everybody. And so the idea was over the course of 28 days, you reset your metabolism by eating nothing but meat, eggs, and cheese exclusively in that order. You take supplements to make sure that your, your guts are still working and you're taking uh, uh, probiotics and you're taking um, a, a bunch of different things like potassium and make sure that your body's getting what it needs. But the idea is to reset your system. And so not only did my wife and I jump on this, my mother-in-law jumped on this and within after 28 days, she threw out her diabetes medication, like threw it out. She's like, I don't need this anymore because she didn't realize how much sugar she was actually putting into her body with all of these carbohydrates and all of these different things. And after the idea is after you get out of this metabolic reset is that you start introducing things slowly into your system to see what works for you and what doesn't work for you, whether it be vegetables, whether it be this, whether it be that and everything within moderation to a certain extent. So I was on the air talking about this. And the reason why is because there was a new study that came out. It was a, it was a U.S. government funded study that gave you a basically another pyramid of things that you should encourage in your diet, things that you should put in moderation and things that you should absolutely avoid. And one of the things they put in that is really good for you is Lucky Charms. And one of the things that you should absolutely avoid is eggs, ground beef and steak. And I saw this and I said, how is like, how is this even real? Like, like this, this doesn't make any sense. Like lucky, like actual, a brand name, Lucky Charms. And so I went on a bit of a rant uh, on this, on, on my morning radio show. And I had an actual nutritionist call and say, if you don't have a PhD, keep your opinions to yourself. And I said, here's another example of somebody saying, if you're not educated, you don't have an opinion to shut up and listen to whatever the government tells you. And I wasn't a big fan of that because it's not a one size fit all. It's not a umbrella like everyone needs to do this in order for everyone to live well. And because of all the different diets and all the different structures that I've done, this one works really well for me. It actually gives me a lot of energy, keeps me lean, keeps me clean, keeps me healthy. And for someone to turn around and say, you're giving people wrong information. All I was telling people was that if you're a professional athlete, you're going to eat differently than somebody who works in an office all day or than somebody who has celiac disease or somebody that has diabetes. It's not a one size fits all. So I was, more than anything, I was curious to know where you stand as far as an athlete, but also to give a little bit of indication that you don't necessarily have to follow the blanket recommendation of eat Lucky Charms and you're going to be okay. I think that if there's one thing that I've learned in you know my playing career is that you, you can't believe everything you're told. And, it, and I'm not talking just about like diet. I'm talking about like you know goaltending, about how the hockey world works, about just life in general. Like you've been told your entire life, okay, you know you're born, you go to high school, you graduate, you go to university, you do four years, you graduate, you get a job, work 30 years, you punch out, get old, and die. 
right? Like that's what they tell you how to do it. And the, the reality of the situation is, is that, like you mentioned, everybody has different needs. Just kind of coming back to the Fed Zeno and, you know, player coaching. Everybody has, you know, different skill sets to work with. Some guys need to be talked to a little bit softer. Some guys like it a little bit harder. I should probably reword that, but so, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When it, when it comes to diets, some guys like doing the whole vegan, vegetarian thing. I tried that for myself and I thought it, it, it was terrible. Uh, I, I did feel lighter, but I, I didn't feel energized and I felt like I was missing something. I went back to my normal diet. I felt better. And in the last, I would say, eight to 10 months, I've gone extremely heavily protein based and I feel the best that I've ever been. I still supplement with my, you know, my uh, supplement sponsorship beyond yourself with their greens, their protein powders and everything and anything that I'm missing in my diet. But like you said, I, I go with what works and I think that works for me. Um, and it has me feeling great. I um I'm I'm sitting comfortably at just over 200 pounds right now. I'm six foot two, 200 pounds. It's a lot better than 250. I got down to 185. That was too light for me. I was way too lean, but I I was under very careful guidance uh, of a doctor when I did this to make sure to see what. But the biggest the biggest misconception is people like oh eggs and fat and, and, and cholesterol and, and steaks are bad for you because it'll clog your heart. You know what actually clogs your heart? Sugar. You know what cancer loves feeding on? Sugar. Sugar, 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 sugar. Uh, not, even, not even just natural sugar. Aspartame, sucralose, fructose. My, I, I, I hate to say that um, uh, I, I'm training my kids, but one thing I have made my kids very, very cognizant of is that when we're in the grocery store, Go to, if you want something, go check the box. If it has sucralose, fructose, aspartame, any of that, no. Nah, it's off limits. That, that, that's just not good for you. And I, as a father, I love you, and I'm not going to subject you to that. You're going to be smarter than that. You're going to grow up. There's, there's some things with some sugar in there. Sure, we can have a look at it. And let's see what, what, what kind of exercise level you're at. What, what, you know, If you're going to be sitting around all week and playing video games, no, you're not going to have a Gatorade. That's ridiculous. But I want to make sure that I'm taking care of their minds and their bodies, and I think as adults, we need to take that advice as well. If we're gonna look out for our kids, look out for yourself. Two things. One, I know there's somewhere right now in the city of Winnipeg, my mother is listening to this podcast, and also my, my beautiful girlfriend is listening somewhere in the city of Vancouver this moment in time. They both shop at Costco, and they both own one of the 10-pound jugs of Aunt Jemima of uh, pancake syrup. Um, I'm, I'm just putting that out there because I'm a heavy, heavy 100% maple syrup and, and like, like a hundred percent, like like uh, liquid honey uh, lover, and I, I get uh, I get hazed for it. I haze for it because Angemima is great, and don't get me wrong, Angemima is good. But uh, I I refer to it as engine oil pancake syrup, um, <laughs> just because like <laughs> th there's no actual maple in the pancake syrup. And Angemima has a great bottle. They got the lady with the face on it, and, and it looks cute. But like I, I like the hundred percent maple syrup. Um, and, and also uh, one, one everything, more point. Everything in moderation. You want to have that every once in a while? Amazing. If that's part of your regular diet, uh, maybe second guess some of your decisions in life. In the words of Kid Rock, Robert Ritchie, everything in moderation, including Even moderation. moderation. Exactly. What was your second point? Oh, my second point was um, you could, in theory, eat or drink whatever you want, and it will not make you fat. Uh, or have you put on weight, it's if you go over your calorie threshold. So I could, in theory, have uh, 2,700 calories of Dr. Pepper every single day or butter or whatever, but if I don't go over that calorie threshold, it is physically impossible for me to put on weight. Same way, like if I had 4,000 calories of broccoli a day, I'm going to put on weight. 
because I'm over my calorie threshold. It's just physically just the way the body works. So, well, he, well he, he, here's the amazing thing about being a human: your metabolism changes every year that you age, and you have to say, "Well, I ate this when I was 25. Why can I eat it when I'm 45?" Because your metabolism has changed. That's why. Your metabolism will change, and you will age 20 years when you play in the Fed Zeno. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else left to cover, sir? Yeah, we, we actually got a couple things to cover. Um, Give her. First off, um, some people were a little skeptical about you know my my uh, comments last week on the podcast about you know the situation in Motor City and returning, resigning, whatnot. And I just kind of wanted to expand on that before uh, people start you know losing their shit, saying that, like I'm talking shit about Motor City when in reality like I'm not. Um, so the situation with Motor City is that uh, I was signed. I went to Motor City. Um, I was told when I when I signed that I was going to be the number two guy and I was going to you know, play a bit. And as we document over the podcast, that was what was going to happen. And from then until now, I, I still never got a start. Although the team did promise me a start in December. It, it never came to fruition because of my injury, my, my surgery. Um, but when uh, Fed contracts are on a year-to-year basis, I'm only signed for this season. So after March, I, I'm a free agent. and Or sorry, after May, I'm a free agent. Excuse me. And I'm not going to be skating until then anyway. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm a free agent because I can't skate between now and then. And when I look at the situation in Motor City, I don't see a lot that leads me to believe why they would want to resign me. They never played me. They didn't have any you know, trust in, in me to, to want to play me or, or trust that I could get the job done for the team when you know, I did win a game in a very uh, dramatic fashion, getting thrown in during after a line brawl in Watertown, which went, which went great. We got a win. Um, but they also put me on season in the IR. They don't want to pay me. Uh, the team was very uh, aggressive with me when, when I left, reminding me, hey, you cannot take any of your stuff because uh, it's team property. Well, I am still team property, so I don't see what the problem is. So all these things lead me to believe that there's not really an interest to sign me. And there's nothing wrong with that. If the team wants to sign me, great. If they don't, that's a part of the business of hockey. I'm As a player, I'm going to go where I'm wanted, and I'm going to go where I'm going to play. I've had two teams in the Fed reach out, say, hey, Let's you know, get a little bit of dialogue going on for next season. Maybe we could bring you up. Maybe we, there's there's a fit here potentially, and that's great. If it's with Motor City, I would love that. I've already put time in with Motor City. My my gear is colored Motor City. I bleed for the Motor City Rockers. To the Motor City Rockers management, thank you for allowing me the opportunity to wear the colors and be a part of the community and kind of help build the team and build you know the city of Fraser, Michigan with you know, Motor City Rockers hockey. I'm, I'm beyond privileged for that. With that being said, in the business side of things, I want to go where I'm wanted, and I want to go where I'm going to play. I like I don't generally believe there's an interest right now. So uh, maybe that changes when you know the season finishes. But I think every hockey player thinks like that, and I just wanted to, to clear that up. That hey, uh, hey, what have you done for me lately? And that goes both ways. That goes both ways. Well, from their perspective, I got hip surgery and I'm useless. And I mean, realistically speaking, I can't skate. Therefore, I'm useless. From my perspective, they don't want to pay me. They never give me a start. Really haven't. I mean, I, I will give a shout out to our GM. He did reach out the other day, ask, you know, hey, how's things going? But uh, at the same time, I am his asset. So he wants to keep tabs on his asset and see how things are going, making sure everything's going smoothly. And we'll see where things go. Maybe we pick up some conversation in the spring. Maybe there's an interest to bring me back. Maybe we have to have some, well, we will have to have some tough conversations when the time comes about questions I have that I want answered. And I'm sure they're going to have some concerns as well. And that's just a part of the negotiating the business side of pro hockey. Are, that's how are it works. They, are they looking out for the best possible scenario for them? Of course they are. Absolutely. Then why wouldn't you look out for the best case scenario for you? Well, and, and that's the thing. As you get older and you start realizing like, Teams don't care about you. Like, listen, like, 
I love the Motor City Rockers. I bleed these colors. I'm wearing the sweatpants right now. I wear the apparel and the logo everywhere I go because I bleed purple for the Motor City Rockers everywhere I go. But they want to win games, whether that's with or without me. I'm led to believe that they think that's without me. And I'm led to believe that I want to win games for somebody who wants me to play and wants me to play there. So whether that's in the Fed with a different team, whether that's over in Europe, whether that's with Motor City, I don't care. I want to go where I'm wanted. I want to go where I'm happy. And, and also, there was somebody who said, why are you talking shit about the city of Fraser? I'm sorry. If the city does not have nightlights on in the streets at the middle of the night, I don't feel safe. I'm sorry. That, I'm just pointing that out. And also, like all the Fed cities aren't exactly uh, tropical destination hubs where I'm going to bring my girlfriend for a honeymoon. They're, you know, small town locations. There's there's flaws. There's flaws everywhere you go. But I, I'm just pointing hey, out my breakdown. Do you ever get mugged are. in Fraser? Uh, not yet. Then shut up. I'm with you, Fraser. I'm with you. (laughs) Dave Wheeler stands at the city of Fraser, Michigan, the township of Fraser, Michigan. (laughs) All right, let's Um, wrap this up. We'll save save my old war stories for another day. Would you like to uh, cap off a little bit of uh, uh, train travel talk, traveling on the the Via, getting moved in, situated uh, over here in Vancouver? Yeah, well, listen, uh, like I said, I would have been more than happy if I had the time and the resources to jump on a a train from you from from Winnipeg out to Vancouver, but I'm glad you had a much better uh, escort. And I don't mean escort. I mean actual, like, somebody escorting you. I'm, I'm glad you clarify, especially when, when Jay listens later later tonight. But, um, yeah, the, the train trip was awesome. So this is my first time taking the Via Rail in sleeper class, not economy. And if you're new to the podcast, um, I booked a, a train ticket to go from Vancouver to Winnipeg instead of flying because I just got in the hip surgery. I wanted more space, accommodation. I didn't want to make my transition over and to And you didn't want the elevation. That's terrible. We talked about that. There's a lot of things that were going in the favor of the train, and I just decided that it was better. So I, I booked a, a cheap berth, and then I submitted my paperwork to VIA, and they said, hey, listen, uh, we're going to honor your surgical documents and your doctor's orders. We're going to upgrade you to a private cabin for two. We're going to give you wheelchair service, baggage service, curbside pickup, and you can bring any caregiver you want. So I, I brought my beautiful girlfriend. I, I got her a flight. She flew her Canada, Vancouver to Winnipeg, met me there, and then we took the train back in the Sleeper Plus. Wow. Let me tell you, Dave. It is like having two different trains within the same train, like from uh, steerage, I mean economy, excuse me, to sleeper plus in the first class. There is a dividing point in the train. You go from uh, you know, people sleeping in chairs for three days straight, no shower, uh, prison food for meals in economy. Like You literally feel like steerage. And I mean, for goodness sakes, they have the economy third class at the front of the train. Because if there's an accident, they die first. If you ever notice it, there's a reason why that is the way that it is. They call you steerage because in the olden days when you know you would take a you know transatlantic voyage, uh-huh. the steerage, the third class, were by all the engine reciprocating rooms. So you were literally in by the steerage compartments. Therefore, they referred to you as steerage as opposed to the yeah. first class or well, up in the higher well, decks. And also, a, a mass amount of uh, of cow is called steer. <laughs> so it's not looking good if you're the front of the train in third class, but. Um, with uh, the Sleeper Plus thing, uh, uh, access to a shower on the train, shower as much as you want. And yes, Dave, I was both feet planted, holding the holy shit handle the whole time I was showering, especially when that train rattles 130 kilometers an hour through the prairies and I'm shaking like a leaf. It's tough to kind of wash my hair or shampoo my beard. But um, so that, that was great. The, the food, though, the, you, so you get three meals a day. So you get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And this dining car. Uh, shout out to the Via uh, culinary team. Chef Jared on, on my trip is incredible. We're talking prime rib for dinner. And the meals are included in the ticket price. 
So I paid uh, 500 bucks for my ticket, and they upgraded me to the cabin, which was three grand for two people. I didn't pay that price. I only paid for the five grand for my ticket, and Victoria came for free. But they gave me uh, one night we had prime rib for dinner. I asked, can I get two slices? And I kid you not, Dave. They gave me a brontosaurus-sized slice. Had to have been at least four inches thick. And I powered through that puppy. No problem. No upcharge. They gave it to me in the way that I liked it. Desserts. Every night I was asking for two desserts. I get the chocolate torte. I get the uh, carrot cake cheesecake, the strawberry shortcake, the ice cream and apple cobbler. Incredible. Dinner time. Uh, on the last night, I got a rack of lamb. But I knew the, the, ram, the lamb rack was going to be a little bit smaller. So I got the honey mop or... Uh, Maple mustard, chicken supreme, and the lamb rack. Two proteins in one meal. And um, for all the breakfasts, when I get the omelets, I get two omelets. I get, oh, the, the culinary team there, incredible, first class. If you if you can find a way to get the money to travel on uh, the Canadian, Vancouver to Winnipeg or vice versa, it is totally worth it. Avoid okay. Winnipeg, Toronto, but yeah. I, I have one question to ask, and you can choose to answer it or not. But before I ask it, because you're talking first class, there is a very recent episode that came out this past Monday. It is a podcast I do with my wife and the Sad Jaguar, who you will get to love if you're not familiar with them. Um, it's season four. There's some colorful language and some questionable content on the show, but if you're, if you're not a faint of heart, I implore you to download the Wheeler After Dark podcast, and we talk a lot about the differences between first class and coach when it comes to flying we don't touch on trains but if you want a a further conversation between uh three very entertaining people i implore you to go download that wheeler after dark we're in season four right now uh episodes are available every monday but my question to you is and i think what inquiring minds want to know is we know that there is a mile high club and if i can coin a phrase did you happen to join the mile long club Dave, my hip doesn't work. We will leave it at that. <laughs> Dave, my until, hip's busted. I can't tell another no episode. Flexion. All you got to do is lay there, but until another episode where we can get more detail. Uh, so the train arrives into uh, Vancouver. Okay. Don't want to uh, was, some details. Just wanted a yes or no. It, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful scene, scenery into uh, Pacific Central in Vancouver. You go from the weather of minus 25 in Sa- Saskatoon. I was about to say Saskabush, but I want to be That's respectful to people. That works. Yeah. In Saskatoon, Saskabush, to uh, plus six at uh, Kamloops, BC, uh, plus two in Jasper, Alberta. The Jasper Road is, my, is by far my favorite outside the Brulee Tunnels. And then a beautiful arrival into Vancouver Pacific Central Station. Incredible. And then uh, shout out to... Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen him. Nick the goalie. He's uh, huge on TikTok. He does. Very uh, familiar. Beer league yeah. goaltender who vlogs all, all of his stuff. He's a God. He's a riot. Actually, here's a little story we'll, we'll tell before we uh, cap off. I know the podcast went a little bit longer than usual. So I met Nick two, maybe three years ago. And I met him as a fan. And I remember we went out for who breakfast was a fan one of time. Who? So, so Nick was a fan of my videos. And we ended up going out for breakfast and uh, I don't even think he had 10,000 followers at this point in time. And he was just, just starting. And I remember telling him at breakfast at, at Bonds Off Broadway. It's a three, sorry, two ninety five breakfast. You get, uh, you know, hash browns, two eggs, uh, two pieces of meat and a coffee for two ninety five. dollars uh, Whether it's horse meat or not, I don't know. But it's a great breakfast for a great price. So me and Nick are sitting there having breakfast. And I remember telling him, you're going to be bigger than me one day. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, listen, you treat the small guy nice when he's smaller than you. He'll be good to you when he's bigger than you. Well, now 
Nick just passed a million followers on TikTok. He's got a quarter million on Instagram. He just he's blown me out of the water on YouTube. He's got 150,000 subscribers on YouTube. And guess who was there to pick me up at Pacific Central Station on Sunday morning? Nick Weston, Nick the goalie. I'll give you a hot take right here. In my endeavors of dealing with people in the hockey community and the hockey influencer realm, there are a lot of really scummy people that are only out there for themselves and their best interest, and they don't give a shit about you. Nick the goalie, Nick Weston, is the cream of the crop, the pièce de résistance of great people and people that I love in the hockey community, and uh, I'm sure Nick will watch this. I am very proud to call Nick a friend. Granted, I don't have many friends, and I don't have any friends in the city of Vancouver, but I'm very up. Oh, Dave Wheeler as well. But... Um, I'm, I'm very happy to call him a friend and very proud of uh, just how much he's popped off. And he's a great dude, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him again, man. It's, it's, it's crazy how Nick has popped off the way that he has, and he hasn't changed. He's still the same goofy guy that, that uh, I got to, to love and there, know and meet in person. There's one thing I've seen him do on his channel a few times, and I, I, I challenge all of the goalies in the Fed Zeno to pull, pull the Nick is when a team crosses the red line, do the canoe. Oh, start kayaking. Yeah, the kayaking. That's it. Do the kayaking. I dare you. I dare you. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the, the 37-year-old in the Fedzino would love that. Oh, Joe Pace. Joe Pace He Jr. would love that. Joe Pace will join you in the kayak. He'll, he'll uh, do second fiddle right behind you. He'll, he'll have the uh, stroke, stroke, stroke. <laughs> Billy Squire, everybody. Stroke me. Hey, McElroy, see this? This is how babies are made. And this victory is about as sweet as the cream pie that Boston was named after. <laughs> we are running way too long. People are tired of us. Wrap this up, Travis Ridgen. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Sling the Biscuit podcast. We do a new episode, Dave Wheeler and I, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. It's 10 a.m. in Winnipeg. That's 9 in Calgary, 8 a.m. on the West Coast in Vancouver, where I reside in this beautiful apartment with my beautiful, stunning, amazing girlfriend, Victoria. Uh, we will see you next Sunday. A uh, friendly reminder, that is also 4 p.m. in Sweden, 3 in the U.K., and 11 p.m. in China. Uh, this podcast is available on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify. If you're listening on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe for more. We just hit 4,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is crazy. Leave a like, leave a review on the Apple and the Spotify video version. Support our sponsors. Sheath Underwear, code BISCUIT69 for 20% off. And the team at NordVPN, nordvpn.com slash biscuit. There's a link in the video description. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you next week with more Fed Zeno stories. And uh, Mr. Dave Wheeler, closing comments, take us away. I'm doing my baseball out for those on the YouTube. <laughs>